previously on Dub Talk. Favorite probably got to be Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Uh, least favorite, uh, Taboo Tattoo is one of the dumbest, stupidest fucking things I've ever seen in my goddamn life. You bet your ass if that suddenly gets a dub out of the ether that I will be covering it. Guess you reap what you sow. Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is highly advised. Also, there will be spoilers for the entirety of the Taboo Tattoo anime series, so listen on at your own risk of being spoiled. And finally, the views and opinions expressed tonight are those of the individual participants and do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Well, friends, tonight we're going to uptown funk you all up because we're covering probably one of the strangest, weirdest, probably poor shows I think I've ever covered on here tonight. Taboo Tattoo. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Ink Talk, the show where all of us geeks and freaks stick a needle into our skins and admire the sickest hell designs we drape our bodies with. Be it One Piece, Full Metal Alchemist, or the haunted Astolfo Beanie, we admire any and all geek-related tattoos. Today, however, is a special day where we take a look at some of the ugliest tattoos we here have yet to lay our eyes on. Joining me today are my fellow inkheads that I first journeyed with way back in the land of Grimgar, Jet. Hello. Roots of Justice. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. And Megan. Tonight, we dine in hell! (laughs) Oh, boy. Remember, everybody, if anybody's to blame for this tonight... It's Andrew's fault. I already see this bit is turning into a bit of a train wreck already. The deeper in we go. And I feel there's no appropriate way to introduce today's show. This is not, in fact, Ink Talk. This is Dub Talk. And today's Dub Talk episode has been a long time coming. Ever since I first talked about it on the Dub Talk Q&A way back when. As we here are covering one of... My most infamously trashy shows I've ever watched in its entirety. Today we're talking about Taboo Tattoo. The first in a two-part series Team Grimgar is going to be working on throughout this week. This one's going to be a messy, trashy, ugly, and full of some of the dumbest character names. You'll be shocked to learn that this show is in fact not a light novel adaptation. Who'd have thunk it? Alright guys, I've got the cocaine, Roots has got the dumpster fire materials, let's light it up and shoot up. Not actually, because I don't want to go to jail. It's amazing we're not in jail already after all of the scenes with Iltutmish and... Yeah, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's also amazing that Ryder the show was out of jail for a certain something I'll bring up later. Wee-woo, uh, wee-woo, yeah, we'll get... wee-woo. Why don't you take a seat over there? 
Beedo, Beedo, Beedo. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> now just imagine this entire show as done by the minions. <laughs> that would gonna be, be that would be canonically you would have gotten to see two minions fuck. <laughs> that means there would have had to have been a minion with a whip and potentially like stripping other people. That's there a, would that be a, a lot of minion on minion <laughs> sexual assault. There is that is not an image I want in my head. Okay. You know that there's so, an image somewhere. Banana. Banana. You know that there's an image somewhere of Gru using one as a butt plug. Oh. Okay. Boy, I know. Okay, okay, I knew this was going to be 18 plus, especially with some of the material in this show. But boy, oh boy, this is going fast. Over okay. under the cars porn. All right. Okay. I'm gonna reel all y'all back in. Forgive us, editor. Alright. I I said uh, earlier that this is going to be a first in a two-parter. Let me explain why as we get into the ADR director and writer of this... Actually, you know, should I say an introduction about what this show is about? Yes, unfortunately, some people out there don't know the horrors of this goddamn show. Okay. Let me, I, don't, I don't have a synopsis in front of me. Let me try and break this down from memory. Seigi uh, Akatsuka, otherwise known as Justice, is a boy who trained in karate and wants to be a hero of justice. And one day, he runs into a man who is being mugged, so he helps him out. He gets a free tattoo for free, and then he gets magic powers, gets entangled in a... Country, government, U.S. plot to USA, try, USA, try take on a bunch of powerful uh, assassins from a non-existent European country where everyone is horny, where everybody is horny, <laughs> and then learning how to get a hold of his powers, work together with the U.S. government to try and stop world domination. By the way, everybody in that kingdom is gay and horny. Get it right. This is true. <laughs> Important distinction. That like this may sound like that is inaccurate, but that's about as much as I can really go off the top of my head without going into some confusing territory. Now you see, kids, this and tetanus is why when someone asks you if you want a free tattoo, you say no. I mean, it's free. Do you know how much those cost? I a lot, it. because I'm probably going to go get one. Um, also, Lock be, jaw, I will... Andrew. Lock jaw. Oh, you know what? I like my jaw the way it is, so I will not but it, do that. I, I was going to say, though, Andrew, if your jaw was locked open, you'd have so much, you'd have so much more room to eat tacos. <laughs> <laughs> there is going to be a lot of discussion of taco munching later tonight. Oh, <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> Did well, you, what's the kingdom's name in this? All I know is that that kingdom's favorite place to go is either Nathan's Hot Dog or the Taco Bell. <laughs> Let me actually look up what the name of the kingdom is because it is some <laughs> nonsensical phrasing. Um, to the point the, the dub just calls it the kingdom. Yeah, they just call it the kingdom. It is the Seiristan Kingdom. Seiristan, our national export is lesbians. <laughs> now that I've gotten the fair introductions out of the way, I'd like to. I said at the beginning of this podcast that 
This week is going to be a two-part special, and the reason why is partially due to our ADR director and our writer. Serving as script writers, we I have... I cannot fucking believe this is a thing. Justin Briner and Brooke Penny. And as far as our assistant ADR director, we have Mr. Jeremy Inman. And our lead ADR director for tonight's show, Christopher Bevin. Okay, so if you don't know, Christopher Bevins and Rachel Robinson both respectively left Funimation and went to California back in August. Uh, it was a devastating, uh, a devastating news. I cried like a baby. Um, because I have very, very sentimental attachment to Chris Bevins' work. Um, so, this, the show, this, and the show we're covering, the other show we're covering this week, and Taboo Tattoo, were one of his last two shows that he had directed there. This was his fucking swan song! At Funimation! (laughs) And you gave him this dumpster fire! What the (laughs) Fuck y'all! <laughs> oh boy, this is already starting to a fun start. Okay. What else for... has Bevins fucking directed? That's a very good question, Megan. Uh, Christopher Bevins has also directed such shows as Brave Witches, Heaven's Lost Prophecy, Heavy Object, Jormungand, and Witchblade, to name a few. Oh god, as... he's already directed trash. As for... Uh, Jeremy Inman, he has worked with Bevins on such shows as The Heroic Legend of Arslan, taking over completely for Dust Storm Dance and Heavy Object. He's also done shows such as Hakata Tonkatsu Ramens, Urahara, and Akasic Records of the Bastard Magical Instructor. I did not tie my tongue once saying that. As for our writers... Justin Briner has only one writing credit at the time of this recording, and that is for Rio Rainbow Gate. As for Brooke Penny, I honestly could not find anything for the name Brooke Penny, so I'm assuming that this is an alias. I'm not going to even try to speculate who. I will respect the privacy of the person who wrote the show and did not want to be credited on this. And honestly, with some of the material in the show, I don't 100% blame them. I feel dirty for watching this show. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Okay, so I'd like to... I'd like to introduce how I think I want to order the sequence of events for tonight's show. Two of us have seen the show before. Two of us have not. I I personally want the two who have not seen the show first and the two who have seen the show last. That's how I see it. I guess, Roots, do you want me to go first or you go first? Why don't you go on ahead? I was gonna say Roots go first because I talk more than you do. So let's let's try this. Roots, Megan, Jet, and myself sounds like a good order for tonight. How's that? There we go. Okay. So for shows like this, um, what I really look for in the script writing and the direction is: are they having fun? Like that is the most important part of this because you know. If you have to dub something that has subject matter like Taboo Tattoo does, are you having fun with all of this, you know, bringing bringing everything up? 
And with some of the uh, some of the choices made in the script writing and the direction, I have to say this was probably a this would have been a dub that probably would have been a blast to be a fly on the wall for in the studio. Because you've got a character who who is a sadist who makes jokes about his penis like every other line he has. You have lesbianism everywhere and it's kind of the butt of a joke at some points. It, it sounds like everybody was in, largely enjoying themselves when they were producing this dub, so. And considering it's it's Bevins, so it's it's not a bad dub by any stretch of the imagination. Well, welcome to a camp of God. This show has a better dub than it ever fucking deserved. Um, Bevins is a masterclass director. Like, I don't think I've run into a dub that he's done that I haven't liked in some way, shape, and form. But direction work is not where this show shines. Oh, no. Oh, no. God bless you, Justin Briner, and your trashy fucking writing of this goddamn show. Let me read to you a selection of lines oh, from boy. the dub of Taboo Tattoo. Move it or lose it, asshole. No, bad touch. Her chest is unbelievable. How dare she be developed like that? Wow, what a trooper. I mean, I'll do it. I mean, it sounds shady as hell, but at least you sound sincere. <laughs> I forgot that one. <laughs> and no religious and no religious solicitations. I'm happy with my current provider. Oh God! <laughs> the, pr <laughs> the princess is stubborn as hell, and she couldn't give two craps about diplomacy. I'm 22 years old. I'm single and ready to mingle, and I'm also a total sadist. Bathroom, it's a number two. It's really bad. Bye. My spleen, go on without me. <laughs> um, if I win, I get your enormous rack. And like after a while, uh, I, I don't want to know what it is, but I learned a term, uh, what tur a term of called a uh, turkey slap. Um, don't look it up. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think we could say what it is. Fairly. What? What is a turkey slap? Is it a slapping? A turkey slap is... <laughs> Basically, slapping somebody in the face with your hard penis. Neat! <laughs> um, but yeah, some of the, the dialogue in this show is just fucking ridiculous. Uh, good job, Justin and Brooke. Also, me, I will have to say, I also wish I was a fly on the wall for this dub, because there are just some reaction noises <laughs> that are the, fuck, the, the fucking best. Um, so... I know this is a bad show. There is, there are very few, there are very few redeeming qualities about this show, but at least the dub is one of them. Jet, how do you feel revisiting Taboo Tattoo? Yep. Uh, so I watched the show simulcast, and as Andrew already mentioned, and I had a blast watching it because it was a, it was one of those things that was kind of like a hilarious dumpster fire. And uh, sure enough, it was a hilarious dumpster fire again, and the dub made it uh, even better in some respects. I mean, uh, you can't really go wrong with Chris Peppins as a director. He always does great stuff, and uh, sure enough, he was really good here. Script uh, was also really fun. You can tell they were having a blast of the material. And they always uh, knew how to fucking get balance of it, how to just uh, get the most out of it. I mean, I will say though that because I watched the sub, because I watched the sub, I have a 
well, not really complaints, just nitpicks because there are some things in the subtitles that aren't in a dub that were like really funny on their own. I mean, that were really kind of funny on their own. Uh, so, uh, like, there's this one bit in like uh, episode two, that's like where uh, B, where uh, Toka and uh, oh god, Lucy. That's <laughs> like, uh, first, like uh, first meet, they're like mingling in the classroom. Like, say he gets knocked out of a window, he comes back up, he sees them following each other, he's like, and in the sub, he's like, oh my god, something sexual is going on. So I really said that line wasn't in the dub. That's to fair. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, but aside from those epics, like, I have no bad things to say about this dub. It's a fun production, very, really bad show, but hey, it's hilariously bad, so there's that. There's a lot of ways I approach the shows. I have many issues with it in general because it is a show that has no consistent tone. So the show regards, is also fugly looking as hell. It's also really fugly looking, but that's another thing. The show has no consistent tone, so it go, goes to different moods and styles, and it's so jarring and weird. So if you're watching this for an action drama show, the camera's going to make you dizzy, and the drama is... So at odds with everything else in the show, it's going to be hard to take it seriously. But watching this as a comedy again, knowing some of this stuff's going to happen, some of the writing, some of the presentation, and was hysterically dumb, outlandish, and amazing. It's like, in some parts, you could tell they kind of do what they were working on, and they got the chance to really have fun and go nuts with it a little. And that was really exciting, especially with some of the dialogue choices, which we'll get to a lot more of those. There's some gold mines in here, ladies and gentlemen. And in regards to the direction, on the one hand, I was... I, I, I'm not a big fan of the show, so I was a little annoyed seeing this was Beppin's swan song. That being said, for a creative in the field of dubbing, working on a show like this must be the most fun you can ever have. And the fact that I was told, like he himself said, he got some of his favorite people to work with on the show means that he got all of his friends, dialed them up, is like, yo, get in here, I'm going nuts in here, means- You know what? Sometimes it's kind of the best, that's like the best thing you can do for a show like this, like, and here's the thing too, like, I do have a point to say that every dub should be treated as if this is someone's favorite anime fucking ever. Here's the thing though, this dub is hysterical, this show is bad to a lot of us, but it's still a really good fucking dub! Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That being said, yeah, no, uh, Jeremy, uh, it was actually kind of interesting because I think I've seen Jeremy's worked on Bevins with a lot of stuff, so it's, it was neat that he got to work with him one last time before the move. And Bevins, the fact that this is your final project, I hope you're happy, sir. This was a riot. I got a lot of thoughts on the show. I hope but... that Roots and I get to meet him next week. We're recording this the week before Anime Boston, actually. Like, literally um, the week before the both of us yeah, are like, going to Boston. Yeah, like, as of this t- as of like this time next week, I will actually be able to see Roots and touch him. Oh, my. No comment! No Why comment. did you go there? Honestly, there's going to be a lot of uh, going there tonight, so it makes sense. I know, anyway. me and Roots are going to do such lewd, lewd things like holding hands. Ew, gross, you fucking sluts. He fucking asked me to marry him last episode I was on! That being said, Bevins, you, you did, you, this dub's a lot of fun. 
you done good, sir. And what is a show without a colorful cast of characters? Handshakers. Okay. Let, let's talk about uh, the characters we will be uh, discussing tonight. First off, we're going to talk about a bunch of military uh, American soldier people, some of the more notable ones. Uh, first off, we have Soa Tamaki, the most normal-sounding name of this group, Lisa Lovelock, and... Okay, 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 I, okay, can I, like, actually talk about the name before we go to, like, actual character discussion, please? Uh, let me say it first, let me say it first. <laughs> Despite the fact that his rank is now Brigadier General, this character likes to be called Colonel Sanders. <laughs> hey kids, get your five dollar okay, so like, 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 so like, so like, so like somewhere like okay, like somewhere the real Colonel Sanders is rolling in his grave. <laughs> oh. Oh like, my god. Like no 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 like no, like no joke, I'm like really surprised the offer did not get sued. <laughs> because because KFC is actually like KFC is a pretty big deal in Japan too, so You I, don't mess with the Colonel's Yakuza. Did not get sued. <laughs> Colonel Sanders here with yeah. the baseball bat the kneecaps. There's a lot of absurd names, as we're going to talk about in this show, but the fact that somebody had the gall to name the American general man Colonel, Colonel Sanders. Sanders. God bless you, Buck, Buck, Bacchus. Bacchus! Oh, God, there's so much, there's so much, but the show must go I'm on, sorry, ladies and Roots is fucking dying. The show must go on, ladies and gentlemen. Now, uh, it's a finger licking good ride. It is a finger licking good ride. Incidentally, and that's also what the friend, the princess of the kingdom likes to do. Let's 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 wait a little longer before we reach that climax, Megan. Anyways, it's a, I think we should talk about who plays these characters. Uh, so Atomaki is played by Rico Fajardo who you'll have heard as such characters as Kyosuke Munakata in Danganronpa 3 Future and Despair, Daryun in the Heroic Legend of Arslan. Ahem! I haven't done it in a while. You may. You may. <gasps> Daryun! Thank you. Emilio Benedetto from Gangsta, Magnus from Unbreakable Machine Doll, and... Boy, you want to talk about another show with amazingly terrible names? Slatter Honeysuckle from Heavy Object. Oh, man, I forgot about that name. Man, doing research about the show and the cast reminded me so much of the great names that are also in Heavy Object. Bevan's worked on both. Notice a pattern. Uh, Lisa Lovecock. I almost called her Lovecock. God damn it. <laughs> this fucking fault We're rubbing off it. on you. Our little Andrew's all grown up. Please don't talk about cocks and rubbing in the same sentence. Did you know that when you put one cock to another cock, that turns people on? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Bring it's it like back. It's like a creamsicle sundae. <laughs> okay. <coughs> 
Reeling it back. Reeling it back. <laughs> Jamie Markey is the voice of Lisa Lovelock. And you'll have heard Jamie Markey in such other shows as... As such other characters as Renko Uminagi from Aquarian Logos, Junko Anoshima from the Danganronpa series, Akira Aoi from Selector Infected Weast Cross, Lenti Farolito from Heavy Object, and Lulu Yurigasaki from Yurikuma Arashi. Ah, oh, more lesbians! More lesbians. And finally, Colonel Sanders himself is played by the man, the myth, the legend, Christopher R. Sabat, who you'll have heard in such roles as Gil Durai from Drifters, King Andragoras III from the heroic Legend of Arslan, Maestro from Jormungan, Kikucho from Samurai 7, and Kiyotaka Narumi from Spiral. Ah, oh, you brought up my favorite show! I went with a theme for tonight. Oh my god, I'm actually fucking crying! <laughs> no, no, like, okay. The first box set I ever bought for myself when I was in middle school was Spiral. Like, I have had that series on my shelf. What the hell? Okay, there it is. I lost it for a second. I was like, what the hell is it? And it's like, between Sound of the Sky and Strike Witches. I have had that on my shelf for over 10 years. Like, that was the first show I ever, like, fell in love with outside of, like, okay, second, because Fruits Basket was first. But, like, I I used to watch the commentaries on that DVD all the time. Like, I actually think I have Sabbath's autograph on my set. You know what? Give me five seconds. Roots, go first. Colonel Sanders here with a $5 review of the military characters a Taboo Tattoo. I mean, what can I say about Seth? <laughs> like, it is... It is exactly the kind of character I, I love listening to him as. He gets a lot of great one-liners. It's one of those performances where you can kind of tell... He's taking it seriously, but he's he's playing it like a gag character. And it, it really... For the show, it, it really works. I also really like the sort of gung-ho attitude of Jamie Markey as Lisa. And can we can we just stop for a second and, and talk about Rico Fajardo's character? Yes. Yes, you may. And the character arc he gets at the end of the show. The true hero of the show is that man and his journey to survive fate. Because he proposes to his girlfriend at Comic Cat, and then. <laughs> and, and all the while, she's complaining, Oh god, you're setting off every death flag. Oh my god, that. Oh my god, that whole speech. We met as childhood friends, and then we were separated by fate, and then we had a reunion in a room full of sweaty nerds. Well, sweaty nerds! <laughs> And, like, in the background, there's, like, little drawings of people raving a red flag as Alexis Tipton starts crying. <laughs> also, to interject, yes, I do have Christopher Sabat's autograph on my spiral set. I will give our editor a picture of it. Nice. Like, he, he honestly, Soha is probably the best character of the show. 
Like, every scene he is in, he steals. He gets an actually pretty fun fight at the end of the show. And I think he makes it to the end? He survives! Yes. He They literally do, I, I'm like, <laughs> I hope the show ends with him surviving. And they show him popping out from the, the rubble to cheer on the giant kaiju battle, which I guess happened. And then it's like, yeah, the show Yeah, all of a sudden the show turned into, like, fucking Attack on Titan. And like, and, like, except the Titans look like, except the Titans look like classic for something. They still look better, they still look better than the CG from season two. <laughs> no, I will, no, I will actually, I will actually disagree with you. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right, so Root, anything else? Uh, no, I'll pass it off to Megan. All right, Megan. So, um, Jamie Markey as, uh, Lisa, uh, Basically, it, it's kind of standard Jamie Markey fare. She's a little bit horny. She's hot. Um, I did get... A, I will say this, though. I actually got kind of sad when her boyfriend died in episode eight. Uh, Leo. Because that was actually a really cool, like, kind of combination. That he w- he could, like, make anything, like, a solid, a liquid, or a gas. And then, like, she would blow it up. Uh, uh, though I do like when she gets possessed by uh, the little lion lolly. Um, little I lion lolly, say that I, five times fast. Little lion lolly, 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 little lion lolly. Goddamn. Um, don't fuck with me. Um, I am the queen, bitch. Uh, but when she gets possessed by her, she does do a good job of differentiating uh, Lisa as normal Lisa and Lisa being possessed. Um, also be it also is another favorite line of mine. It's like, do you know what the snake is a euphemism for? It's a euphemism for penis. Nobody asked you! <laughs> Rico as normal uh, normal guy Kamaki was great. At first I didn't recognize him. I actually thought he was Robert McCollum for a second. Uh, but then I was like, oh, this is horny, horny Rico. Um, he and Alexis Tipton were great. I thought he had a lot of fun also against Anastasia Munoz's character, who we're not talking about, whose job was literally to be uh, horny and har- uh, spiky and horny. Also, when Rico and Tom's waifu dies is also pretty fucking great. But uh, <laughs> probably one of the comedic standouts of the show is Christopher Sabat as Colonel Sanders because he chews every scene that he's in as the most like stereotypical American in a big blockbuster character. And there's like one part later in the in this show, I think it's like in the last episode, it's like, we're America! We like to play. I will read you the exact line <laughs> yeah. he says. Give me a second. Please uh, do it. The exact line he says is, I'm a red-blooded American, you hear me? Nothing I love more than freedom, blowing shit up, and kicking ass. <laughs> like, he also says fuck <laughs> at one point. Um, <laughs> like, I was just... just this fucking there's also a point where like they fire a missile and he says, Let's fire a giant sausage up the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love that this shit? show knows what it is. Uh, Trash. I, 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 okay, I will argue that. <laughs> I will actually argue that when we get into like more into the show, but um, like I said, uh, Megan, anything else to add? I can't go on from there. Fair enough. When you, when you stick a sausage in it, where else do you go but up? Jet. Well, you go either up the clam or up the butthole. 
Okay, um, so like Megan was saying, Lisa was kind of like a typical Xavier performance, but I mean, it was a lot of fun, you know. That's a, that's a, you know, a little bit comedic, a little bit sexy. It was, it, it was a fun time. That's, and like I did kind of like her. I did kind of like her a little bit with the blind guy, even if he did die like very, very quickly. So, <laughs> okay, so as far as Rico as uh, Atomic Ego, that was also a lot of fun. I mean, the whole, like, meta-joke thing kind of seems silly for a show that really doesn't have any semblance of tone whatsoever. Uh, but, it, I mean, it was kind of busy in his own right now. He kind of got to jump on the fact that he did, in fact, survive. So, <laughs> so yes, you too can defy fate. Okay, yep, and then Colonel Sanders, he, he's, well, he's Colonel Sanders. He's there to be over-the-top and silly. And he has a lot of fun dialogue that was a really fun performance. Chris Abbott was, like, clearly just chewing it up there. Uh, I mean, I will say I was, like, a little bit annoyed at how much of an obvious stereotype he is. Like, that bothered me a little bit. But, uh, I mean, but it's one of those things where it's so over the top you kind of can't take too much offense to it. So, it was a pretty All good right, time. Uh, all right. Now, where do I start? Okay. Um... I like Jamie. I, I think Jamie playing a very sultry, sexy badass, like, I'm used to that at this point, but honestly, that's kind of what I wanted for a show like this anyways, and I'm glad she gets a chance to actually be cool in a couple moments and step on a dude's nuts, which you could hear a lot of that in her voice. I also genuinely liked the dynamic that she has with uh, Bluesy. It's a tried-and-true combo, but... Uh, I'm a little annoyed with how the show genuinely works her character in sometimes, as she is the... She seems to really get in some of the creepier... Okay, there's a lot of creepy moments, but the more creepier moments with the other creepy guy in the show, and that bugs me, like... And I don't know. But it was kind of cool that, like, she did get a couple of moments. I liked her dynamic with that uh, dude. I think his name was Leo, uh, or something like that. Okay, and yeah, I think Jamie was good. Um, I'm going to go to Sabbath next. Just the fact that I lived long enough to hear Chris Sabbath say that line from his mouth that I, like, I'm so glad I lived long enough to hear him say that he's a red-blooded American kicking ass, freedom and blood. What were you expecting? Like, some, like, a, like a bullet to hit you? Or, like, death by snoo-snoo or snow? Honestly, this is our third snowstorm. At this point, anything could have gone on. So what okay. you're saying is you're more likely to die death by snow, but not by snoo snoo. Here's hoping. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we are talking about anime. Death by snow is a very frequent way to All go. right. That being said, <laughs> I Andrew think would prefer death by snoo snoo from, like, Mina. <laughs> <laughs> she is a she is a precious. Oh wait, she, is she th is she thick enough for death by snoo snoo? <laughs> death by snoo snoo from Galco. I, I, I okay, Megan. I I think Andrew's here to try to the screen and kill you right I'm, now. I'm contemplating it. Okay, Galco you earned be, this. Galco would be pretty fucking good. Not gonna lie. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> now, Christopher Sabat is Colonel Sanders. I'm happy. He's. 
I'm so happy that he is now officially the number one Colonel Sanders, uh, beating out Nick Offerman as the role, which I'm very happy about. Uh, I thought it was Norm MacDonald. Who was it in that? Okay. It's Norm MacDonald for a while. I was wrong. Okay. They have a ton of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Like, one of them is like Reba McIntyre now. Okay, okay. Point being, Sabbath full-blooded American does this character as campy. Oh, wait, there's one line I forgot. Uh, when BB comes in, it's like, I'm here to avenge, avenge my fallen comrades. Hey, I'm right fucking here! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I'm so glad I remember that. I forgot about that. I'm here, I can't believe, he's like, I can't believe Bluesy, uh, Colonel Sanders is dead. I'm not dead! Sometimes I can still hear his voice. I'm, no, I'm okay. I'm like, I can't walk and I can't see shit. I'm still alive. If Anyways, he can't see uh, shit, now how is he going to make his chicken now? Uh, anyways, uh, the hero, let's now talk about the hero of this show, uh, Tom, Rico S. Tamaki. This character literally just shows up unprompted, out of nowhere, just suddenly in the time skip. Um, he's suddenly besties with Tom and Bluesy and uh, Seggy. It's like, wh- who are you? Where did you come from? I'm so glad he came up out of nowhere because he is the most hysterically outrageous bit of comedy in this show. And he's kind of cool, this cool, weird, beefy otaku man. And like, it's like the all the death flags he raises, he actually gets a pretty decent fight. And the dynamism where it's like, uh, Anastasia's character is like, ram yourself into my sexy bed of spikes. It's like, I already have a girl waiting for me at home. Dun, like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> also, I, here's a little bit of referential humor. When I saw him watch, literally, he, he and Tom are watching tentacle, like, tentacle porn just in the cabin, just because they are. And when I saw that and knew that was Rico, I'm like, is Rico just watching the role he plays in Rio Rainbow Gate? <laughs> <laughs> Only Jamal will get that joke. Only Jamal, and I hope he does. Love you, buddy. Anyways, seriously, Rico's hysterical as this random beefy badass, and I'm glad he got to play this part. Now, I think it's time we turn away from... Uh, the land of the U.S. of A. and into the insert European country here in the form of Saristan and talk about the members of the princess's personal squad, Brahmin. Uh, See, I don't even think it's Europe. I think it's supposed to be in, like, India, guys. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I'm gonna be honest. I zoned that out, and that's, uh... Her dad was brown! And David Wald! Yeah. And awful! Therefore, it is a typical <laughs> David Wald character. Oh, okay, anyways, as for uh, these characters of Brahmin, uh, we're going to be talking about R.R. Lurker, the. Uh, he is the. Whip it out! He is 22, single, ready to mingle, and very much a sadist. Um, <laughs> then we have. Cal Shakar, uh, she is a... Hot! She is a hot, but she is also a traditional samurai woman and also has the strange nickname of Aegis Armadillo. And 
Yeah, I for, I thought. Yeah, yes. And Ajita, who I is... summon thee, the Aegis Armadillo, by my sword. I use a command spell. Fuck him up. And Ajita, who is a creepy man with a glass eye, who summons bugs from it. As for the actor and actresses that are playing tonight's characters of Brahmin. Ajita is played by R. Bruce Elliott, uh, who if you, you've heard him in such performances as Hannibal Barca from Drifters, Sogon Kenzaki from Aquarian Locos, Shimazu Yoshihiro from the Sengoku Basura series, Ryu Kazuma from Ping Pong, and Kanichi Saito from Beck Mongolian Chop Squad. Cal Shikar is played by Rachel Robinson, who you've heard as such characters as Farangis from the Heroic Legend of Arslan, Sakura Ogami from Danganropa the Animation, Anastasia Romanova from Drifters, Commander Eo from Nobunagan, and Mauve from Aka 13 Territory Inspection Department. As for R.R. Lurker, he is played, interestingly enough, by Andrew Love. This was the only exception to my scheme for tonight. It was very hard to make it work. So, you've heard Andrew Love as such performances as Yuma Mukami from Diabolic Lovers, Mink from Dramatical Murder, Adam, yeah. Bla Adam Blade from Needless, Daigo Aoki from Food Wars, and Ibarra from Agame Ga Kill. So... In any order, however you want to start with whoever you want to start with and end with, Roots, that's on you. I'll start with Ajita, because he gets a couple moments, not a lot of screen time, but... he He's more of a looker than an actual talker. <laughs> looker. Because uh, of the big old glass eye. Yep. Um, but when he does speak, he is hammy as hell. I really do like our Bruce Elliott, because he, he gets a lot of these characters who are just total hams. I liked what little we got of him. God. R.R. Lurker. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, he, he gets some of the best lines of the show. As demonstrated. <laughs> Uh, so many snake penis jokes. So All many. of the snake penis jokes. Like, nearly all of his lines are just these dumb machismo... Creepy, creepy lines. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't help but laugh at it, though. And, uh, uh Rachel Robinson as Cal Shakar. God damn. Like, the... My review of that performance in two words. God damn. Uh, Rachel Robinson's really, really good. Probably one of the, from a technical standpoint, probably one of, if not the best performance of the show. She's tough, but then she also gets these moments of vulnerability. Moe. <laughs> Moe is exactly the word you'd use. Moe, Moe, cute. And I'm I'm gonna pass it on to Megan because she'll probably say what I want to in better words. 
I'm gonna agree with uh, Roots about Ajita. Uh, he doesn't talk a lot, but whenever he opens his mouth, uh, Kent Williams chews the scene. To which, if you don't know, Megan Kent William, what? Megan, are Bruce Elliott. Fuck! Damn it! God start, damn it! Start over. Um, I mean, it's not as bad as like actually running a tournament, a tor- uh, a tournament on a forum, and literally making uh, listing a character's name wrong. Because I thought Hifumi's last name from New Game was Yamada, and I realized it was the Danganronpa character a week later. The fact that you compared her to my, my goddess to my that that fuck annoys me more than it should. Hey hey hey! It's Fat Hifumi time. <laughs> anyway, uh, so. Arbus Elliot chewed the scenery. Uh, I wish his character showed up a little bit more because he just kind of turned into a giant fly monster and died at the end. To which, damn, that's a really good Jeff Goldblum cosplay. Um, thank you to all two of you who got that reference. I did. Uh, <laughs> thanks, dear. Um, then, okay, so then let's see who, uh, okay, I kind of want to do Rachel next. Cal, uh, Cal is straight up wife material. I would let her put her sword in me. Just saying. Oh my. She's she's hot. Uh but I never knew Rachel Robinson could do Moe. <laughs> like like I'm not gonna lie. Rachel when she gets all flustered and mad at um BB for not liking her, it's the cutest shit. Like, I want Rachel Robinson doing more Moe shit and not like Moe little boy like in Token Rambu. Um now I realize why I said Kent Williams, because the episode yesterday of Token Rambu that aired um, as of this recording was the Moe Kent Williams episode. Um, but uh, she was super cute. And she was also super fucking threatening, too. Like, she honestly was one of the best performances in the show for a show that does not deserve a level of performance. But let's talk about fucking Andrew Love as R.R. Lurker. Holy <laughs> hell. He is disgusting, creepy man. He is, like, disgusting, creepy fedora man-baby. Um, like, talks about whipping it out. Uh, he made me learn what turkey slapping is. Um, because he threatens to turkey slap Bluesy. To which, by the way, if you don't know, Bluesy has, like, the body of a 15-year-old. So, yeah, fuck off, show with your creepy pedophilia. Um, he's got, like, piercings. There's also another line that he gets in the show uh, that was pretty great, which was, um... Little lo- uh, little lion lolly is like, wow, you're pretty good at stitching. Yeah, I went to med school. No shit. Uh, yeah, that came out of nowhere. It was like, great. He's like, yeah, I got thrown out for being a sadistic asshole. Also, B, this girl has giant boobs. Um, but Andrew Love like took the scenery and chewed it and like spat on it and made love to it and like he fucked a ham. Um, no, Andrew Love did not actually fuck a ham. Please do not fuck hams. Um. I mean, he localized that performance in that booth. He steamed those hams. I'm reaching for this. Uh, but that's all I've got to say. Also, B, he also has probably the funniest death line in the show, which is he's being hurled at uh, Anastasia Munoz's horny spikes, and he just goes, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> and then he dies. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Jack. So, our Bruce Elliott's character was just kind of there for most of the show. He didn't really do much. But he did But he did give an incredibly chewy speech out of the last scene, which I thought was pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> uh, Rachel Robinson as Cal was uh, pretty good. Like you guys are saying, that was definitely one of the best performances in the show. Uh, like, uh, like a really good mix of like, tone, 
I'm like tough and cool with that also, you know, like cute and bowie on occasion. Although I will be honest with you, I was, uh, well, not annoyed, but it was kind of like a little random how to just sort of brute. I just sort of like threw out her crush on BB, like the way they explained it. It's like they literally just like fighting. It's like, oh, you have a crush on BB. It's like, well, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I think, I think uh, they implied like he, like she had something for somebody beforehand in the cave with the princess, but <laughs> it was weird, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. that line. Oh, come with the, the uh, she acts like a prude, but I bet she's a freak. Mm hmm. Well, eh, well, I guess he wasn't wrong there. <laughs> I mean, at least, okay, legitimately show, at least if BB slept with her, Kyle Protective Services wouldn't have been called. <laughs> look, she, she, look, she is, like, I think an adult, or, like, at least mid-twenties or something, but, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, and then, and then Andrew Webber was just, yeah, that was a riot. That, like, the guy, like, the guy is really slimy and gross and unlikable, but it's, uh, uh, but, or, but Andrew Levin is having a, he was having a blast with that. So, I was like, he was chewing up the scenery, every line was gold, all the innuendos were just spot on, it was a really fun time. Oh, boy. Uh, this is a, f this is, like, I said colorful cast of characters, these are some weirdos. Achita, our Bruce Elias has a very nice voice. Uh, he sounds super duper like old and crazy, but and his final explosion was kind of great. You're right; it is a very like chewy speech where it's like destroy the world and make it in your own image. Like, oh my god, the show is basically like a lot of things. One of which is basically unironic chuny fantasy. Um. As for uh, Rachel Robinson as Cal, I think she did sound pretty good. She has a very stern, authoritative voice and sounds really, like, cool and badass when she actually has to be. So, like, when she is going into battle and actually being legitimately threatening. Like, she's one of the characters where it's like, when she starts doing shit, I actually kind of believe, like, she has intent to fuck shit up. Unlike a lot of other characters but that's aside the point. She does a really good job. I actually do think, yeah, she does sound kind of cute when she is uh, getting flustered. I think it's kind of random and tonally jarring, but that's taboo tattoo in a package. Um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed Rachel Robinson as this uh, very uh, powerful, pure maiden who's stained with blood. But, Andrew fucking love. What the <clears throat> shit? <laughs> I feel really weird because, like, one of the shows that you mentioned was Dramatical Murder. And I'm just like, oh, I've played the games and his, characters, his character does a lot worse things in those games. Oh, boy. Just, every, this is, you took it, you, you're given a character like this. And you can play this with as much, like, craziness as you want. And this show gives him a lot more time than I expected to give this character. Like, I thought this dude was basically going to be shot and dead when he first showed up. And he survives pretty much the entire show for the most part. And you get to hear him do his shtick a lot. He is creepy, crazy, 
freaking off the walls masochistic bullshit in you. Sadistic, not masochistic. There's a difference. Right, right, right. Uh, that's what I meant. Uh, well, like, actually. I thank you, thank you. Uh, you can have Ajita's fedora since he's not going to need it since he is now a squash bug. Um, By the as... way, is it really weird that whenever uh, he would make the giant cubes in the air, I was like, oh, look, it's the Kato cubes. At least the C. At least the CGI in Kato looks good. Man, the CG <laughs> in this show is bad. No, but uh, yeah, I think there are at least how many different how many different words were used to describe his penis? Um, Snake, Wang, Turkey Slap. Uh, venomous. Snake. I lost track after. I lost track after like fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's a lot of. Names for penis. Yeah. I, did, I, I didn't even know about Turkey Slap. The fact that this show taught me what Turkey Slap is in my... The fact that somebody... And, I'm pretty sure that somebody on the writing team had to use Urban Dictionary. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Briner knows exactly what Urban Dictionary is. And good on him for it. This was a much funnier presentation performance because of it. Goddamn Andrew Love. This was hysterical. I'm glad I got to witness this. Yeah, though, in in the grand scheme of things, like, guys, I know a lot of people are probably going to call especially me out for this because I have such big problems with, like, Monster Musume and Seven Mortal Sins with girl-on-girl, like, sexual assault. By the way, R.R. Lurker deserves to fucking die. There is nothing redeemable about this character. Even the show goes out of its way. Like, that's the one card that I will give this show. This show goes out of its way to paint him as pure fucking evil for what he has done. I'm not excusing it. I'm saying that Andrew's Love's performance was over the top and hammy. This character can die in a fire. And one of the most satisfying moments in the show is when Bluesy kicks him in the dick. He also gets literally double teamed (laughs) by uh, Bluesy and uh, Lucy. So... No, wait, Le- is it Lucy or Lisa? I forgot. Lisa. Uh, Lisa. I think we said Lisa. Okay, I thought it was Lucy for some reason. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. The show is really creepy, and there's a lot of unnecessary, like, stuff that goes out of his way. They do make him that he is kind of creepy, and the show kind of makes it apparent that he is a creepy bad man. But the show is also having its cake and eating it, too, by having all these lasting, longing tracking shots or lingering too long. Yeah, when we get to the princess and the little lion lolly, I think that's where we're going to have a lot of words. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Yeah. Point being, this is, like, the reason I think this one bugs me more is just because, like, this has no tone where it's like Mon Musu or Mortal Sins at least that seems like they kind of know already this one seems like it wants to be a bunch of things and also do a little creepy fan service stuff hey guys look I'm gonna actually say something nice about Monster Musume uh at least Monster Musume knows that it's fetishistic trash and it does not try to be anything else but that yeah and when it actually does try and when it does try it can at times be endearing this show is not. This show is a fucking mess. By the way, did you know the guy who directed this directed fucking Slayers? Did he? Yes. Yeah. Fucking wow. Now, moving away from the kingdom is the former spy 
from the kingdom as well as a renowned scientist in regards to tattoos. Professor Wiseman. What is he? He's a wise man. Fuck you. What is subtlety? And Brad Blackstone, a.k.a. BB, a.k.a. The Chunibyo hero your 14-year-old mind can't even comprehend. Oh, uh, I got I got to correct you there. Was it Brad Blood said it was... No, it was Blood, uh, whatever. It's Blad and not Brad? No, I'm pretty sure it was Blood. Bl- yeah, Is it, it like Blood, Blood Blackstone? Black Give me a second. Yeah, 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 it was Blood Blackstone, I'm pretty sure. Why does it say Brad Blackstone when I checked? I, I, I'm, like, pretty sure it was blood. I, at least that's what they said in the show. I, yeah, A&N I, says Brad. Which is weird. Because I, like, I, I clearly I like, heard it as blood in the show. Honestly, either one sounds super duper, like, fucking edgy anyways. Who cares? Okay, fuck it. His name is BB. It's BB. It's just BB. It's only BB. Fuck you. Okay, let's talk about Wiseman and BB. That was... <laughs> Wise man and BB coming to CBS this fall. Oh, wise man and BB. Okay. (laughs) I'm that what? (laughs) Sorry, I'm just getting. One is a genius, the other shooting. (laughs) (laughs) It's BB and wise man. BB and wise man. Oh oh no. BB and wise man, 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 man. They want to team up and take the tattoos. They're ordinary chunies. Oh. This is why I love the Grimgar crew. Grimgar crew is the best fucking crew. I love you bastards. Anyways. By the way, I just vote that when we all, if we all hopefully get to see each other at A-Fest, we all just look each other in the eyes like that one Nichijoad gif with the dog, put our hands on each other's shoulder and just nod. Agreed. Anyways. Um, so who starting- plays... Our, our double agents. Starting with triple uh, agents. Wise man. Starting with wise man. Wiseman is voiced by Jeremy Schwartz, who you've heard as such characters as the Black King from Drifters, Nuada Kiri from Harmony, Bakarion. Uh, wait, is it Bakarion? Barkosion from the Heroic Legend of Arslan, and the narrator from Brave Witches. And BB is voiced by none other than J. Michael Tatum, who you've, no. heard as, who you've heard as such characters as Butch Cassidy from Drifters, Warbler from Akka 13 Territory Inspection Department, Jin Kirigiri from the Danganronpa series, Gadevi from the Heroic Legend of Arslan and Life Sexy Shabadadu from Yorikuma Arashi. Roots, start us off, will you? I guess I'll start with BB. I'm a little bummed because Tatum in Bevan's dubs often gets really, really great lines, especially things like. In Drifters, as uh, Butch Cassidy, where he where he just randomly says "love a duck," which probably got changed in the uh, changed in the home video version to the more explicit version of that phrase. Duck a fuck. 
Duck a fuck. He doesn't get a lot of great one-liners in this show, which is kind of a shame considering he's like the big Chuny character. But in all, his performance is really solid. It, it's it's a Tatum performance. You're you're getting what you paid for. I paid nothing to watch this. <laughs> you paid four hours. I paid with four That's... hours of my fucking life. Yeah, and that's four hours. I'm like hooked up to the machine. I'm like hooked up to the machine from fucking Princess Bride. Jed and I spent eight. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm really kind of bummed that Jeremy Schwartz really hasn't shown up in Simuldubs lately. Probably for the past season or two. I mean, he's he's probably doing like narrator work for the Discovery Channel. Like he actually does. Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah, he's the um. You know that bootleggers show on the Discovery Channel? Like bootlegging as in moonshine making? Yeah, as in moon moonshine making. Like uh, the, What um, the fuck? Yeah, he's the narrator what? of that show. Bullshit! I I the title of it escapes me. Hold on a sec. So I Jamal, I'm so like so moon- sorry. Bootleg- yo, yo, what the fuck? Yo! Moonshiners. No, yo! It really is because I looked up. I looked up on Google. It says cast Jeremy Schwartz. What the fuck? fuck? (laughs) And now, Jamal, if you can put in the the gif of Eric Wareheim, just the mind blown. You will be my friend forever. I mean, he added the white. He added in the why are you booing me when I'm right one before. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um. But yeah, um, like, I really like Jeremy Schwartz's voice. I really hope that he continues to come to Funimation and just bless shows with his dulcet tones. Because I'll, I'll admit, <clears throat> the character he plays is kind of one note, and he just kind of gives a life to it. <laughs> what the fuck, Jeremy Schwartz? Jeremy Schwartz, Jeremy Schwartz here for Moonshine. I blew somebody else's mind with that in another episode, and I can't remember which. You need a second to get that out of your system. Yes, actually. What the fuck? What the fuck? That's That's kind of amazing. That's like learning on the Cervamp commentary that one time in a a movie, uh, Chuck Huber got to punch Ben Affleck. What? Yeah! I think it's something like that. It's like, yeah, no, I punched Ben Affleck in a movie once. I'm punching Ben Affleck. I'm trying not to die! I'm dying here! I'm freaking dying! Clara! Speaking of dying... I'm freaking dying over here! (laughs) Maybe I should go watch... Maybe I should go watch... like I'm scaring the dogs. Serenity now. Serenity now. Serenity now. Okay. Jeremy Schwartz's Wiseman was really good. I like when Jeremy Schwartz gets to play cryptic old men. Um, he wasn't shine on crazy grandpa levels of crazy. But uh, I like how he's sitting. I think he also delivers one of my line, like favorite lines of the show is, Sanders, this isn't a summer blockbuster. <laughs> um, I forgot about that. 
So yeah, he was pretty cool. I thought he was interesting. But BB was great. BB deserves better than this show as a character. Um, yeah, is he like edgelord formulaic? Yeah, but he's actually really cool. And I thought he was like honestly a better character than our lead. And he that the lead should have died and BB should have lived. Uh, yeah. Though, 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 to be fair, I think BB needs to uh, take a seat over there because he is dating a girl that has the body of a 15-year-old. She is an older character, and it is consensual on both parties. Yeah, but it's all—it's just a little bit weird because she's got the body of a fucking fifteen-year-old. If you um, have to whip out an ID every time, I'm probably if you've not got a, a good if idea. you've got to pull the Romeo and Juliet clause. By the way, that is an actual law. Uh, is then there? it's a little bit weird. Okay. Uh, but I thought his performance was great as. Because usually sometimes Tatum, I forget that Tatum can do, like, these kind of big, solemn, badass characters. Because I'm used to him being, like, you know, like, Tsukiyama. Tsukiyama. And shit. Uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of his character Warbler and Akka. But other than that, I thought they were both really good. Go ahead, Jet, while I kind of die inside. Uh, so I'll talk about Jerry Schwartz first. Uh, so he was really great at, he's really great as Wiseman. I really like his voice. It was... Uh, it was pretty cool, and I thought he gave uh, a lot of life to a character that was uh, honestly just kind of there. <laughs> I mean, although I do think it's kind of weird that he just sort of decided to give the to give this powerful tattoo to some random kid he met on the street. Like I don't know if the show ever explains why he did that, but yeah, that's like been at a show, stupid. So whatever. <laughs> okay, and then we have J. Michael Tatum as BB. Uh, so, I was a little surprised when I saw it was J. Michael Tatum as this character, since, like Megan said, he doesn't really get to play these sort of stoic characters that much, but he was clearly having a pretty good time in it. Uh, Jeremy Schwartz has a really distinct, very out, like, you could hear his voice from a mile away. He's very outstanding. I learned he was originally from New Jersey today doing research. I'm like, wow. I learned something new. Anyways, uh, I really like him as the kind of stoic, very tired, exhausted old person, very gruff, aged, like he's been through a lot of shit. And I think that works for this character who's supposed to be on the run from the United States and the kingdom. I don't know. It, I mean, with weird. the current administration, all scientists should be on the run for the U.S. <laughs> not wrong. Bazinga. That Hey, I didn't know Sheldon was in this show. I think Jeremy Schwartz uh, does a really good job. I, I like the way he sounds. And he, even he gets a couple of interesting moments in, like, the final episode. But he also kind of, like, manipulates the main character to be a kaiju for a reason, I guess. That's, I don't know. Because kaiju are fucking cool. I mean, same logic implied when he just gave the tattoo for literally no reason. Yeah. <laughs> You, you, you think he literally just, like, gives it to random people on the streets? It's like, man, that was a really good hot dog. Here, have this tattoo. Man, hey, uh, you did a really kid. good guitar performance on the street. Here, take this tattoo. Hey, hey, kid, you want free tattoo? I got a tattoo gun right here. He goes to the red light district. He goes one. to the red light. He goes to the red light district, and he sees like a call girl. It's like you have a really nice set of tatas. Here, take this tattoo. No, 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 don't. That's not Russ. Don't worry about it. I, I'll give you a free tattoo. What are you buying? What are you selling? I'm the tattoo master. I sell tattoos. <laughs> tattoo master. I'd like to buy your strongest tattoo. 
You can't handle my strongest tattoo. Okay. <laughs> my I'm God. sorry, Andrew. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. You shouldn't be. Yeah, she's not sorry. You should be. Either. Roots, roots. Repeat after me. I'm. I'm. Not. Not. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, you right. did it. Good job. Good job. Anyways, I think I've said my piece. Uh, he, he has a really good voice and he does a good job. Now for J. Michael Tatum as B.B. This is, like I said, this character is like Chunibyo, like middle school phase edge superhero. And that's kind of why he looks so cool in the show is because this kind of idolizes all that Chuny nonsense, which works for this character. Like he's a he's a decent enough character, a cool guy man. It's just like it, it, the whole deal with his situation is very weird. I, I yeah I, yeah. Can we bring up how he's not actually a character until after he dies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ironic twist. Ironic twist. <laughs> what? That he suddenly just sun- ends up like. By the way, there's like a scene in the last episode after, um, I guess the soul or the core of Segi's uh, tattoo, which is the giant kaiju eats Bluesy and him, and all of a sudden Bluesy wakes up in like the fucking void, and there's BB sitting on fucking nothing. By the way, he's just like perfectly like legs are a perfect ninety degree angle on fuck all. What the what? hell, show? Look, when government money doesn't pay the bills, you get, you make a nice job living doing pantomime. It does very well for him. Maybe he should anyways. have pantomimed away out of his own death. Uh, uh, anyways, Tatum, Tatum has a very, like like I said, he's much more, like I think, eccentric or bombastic or, I guess, more stuck-up characters. But actually seeing him do much more, like, cool guy, badass, stoic man was a lot better than I think I was expecting. And I enjoyed his performance quite a bit. And I'm not sure if I should bring this up or not. At least, I find it very amusing that this character is the one that directly no-homos somebody else. Oh, oh yes! Um, I wanted to bring this up! Oh, yeah, he does. Okay, so we're not talking about it, but I've literally called the character Super Twink. Oh. <laughs> it's his, I forget what his actual name is, but he's played by Damon Mills. And at one point, like, I guess in this, Andrew told me that in the sub, like, they directly implying that he's fucking the king. They don't even imply. They straight up say. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah. yeah. So basically <laughs> in the show, David Wald and uh, Damon Mills have fucked, which is really weird because they play father and son in another show. Oh! Boy, we are, we are going into some <laughs> You earn this! Can I... I ask which show? <laughs> that they play father and son in? Yeah, I'm Royal guessing Tudor. Royal Tudor. Yeah, yeah that's what I, I see. Yeah, because okay. David right. Wald's the David Wald's the dad, and uh, Damon Mills is Prince Kai. So soft, so soft. Rub, rub, I, rub, rub. Which I is probably what he David gave. Wald uh, was the dad. When is David Wald not the dad? Touche. Okay, I, I can hear Gigi like five miles away. I'm, I'm, we should we should move on yeah, before this yeah, gets yeah. awkward. What's that, Point Andrew? B. Is that the sound of a flood coming towards New Jersey? Point be- no, it's a snowstorm, which has other implications. Anyways, J. Michael Tatum, 
Uh, I think he does a really good job being this cool, badass superhero man as BB, and he's also kind of sincere and sweet. And I actually do enjoy the chemistry his character has with Bluesy. I, like I said, I think he is a character that's kind of weird, but I did enjoy him a lot more than I expected. Now, let's, <laughs> let's, lesbian. let's, let's talk about, let's our, be honest, let's be honest, let's, let's be honest and talk about our main antagonist and her pet lolly. I was going to say pet project, but... <laughs> It's a less let's talk about Let's talk about Princess <laughs> Settle down, girl, settle down. Let's Lesbian. talk about Let me at least introduce the characters who are named Princess Ariabata and Il Tutmish? Toot Honestly, little Lion Loli is actually what i remember can we say what we we officially dubbed what her uh the queen the princess's name was in the chat uh princess bad touch no her royal horniness princess von bad touch her royal horniness (laughs) princess fun bad touch von bad touch (laughs) that that is as a title she wears with pride anyway she she is our main antagonist i think and uh Little Lolly Lion is her very loyal subordinate. Uh, l- 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 let's just introduce who plays these characters. We we have a lot to fucking talk about. Let's yeah. Let's, <laughs> just rip I'm off the bandage. The rip off the bandage. Okay. I'm not in the uh, mood to take a seat over there right now. Man, there's no <laughs> other way but to acknowledge it. Uh, Ari, Ari, yeah, but- I can already hear they the police They fucked! Yeah, let me just get it. They banged! They fucked! They had coitus! Princess Von Bad Touch went to the Taco Bell! <laughs> <laughs> and seeing his toot toot turns into a lion, I guess that makes Princess Von Bad Touch a furry, so they also yiffed. I don't know who I I'm Jewish I don't know who I pray to for to absolve myself of sin I'm already going to hell so there's no saving me whoever's up top you get an IOU from me and maybe a couple of matzah to go with it anyways Princess Ariabata is played by Carly Mosier, who has played such characters as Toko Fukawa from the Danganronpa series, Midoriko from Selector Infected We Cross. Okay, remember the fucking stupid names from uh, Heavy Object? Welcome back, Heavy Object! Uh, she plays We Dine Uptown. Oh, <laughs> man. Uptown girl, let me banging lollies in an uptown world. Let me repeat that for the people in the back. <laughs> we dine uptown, and she's also centric. That's... 
She's Cedric Granville from Unbreakable Machine Doll and Ader from Aka 13 Territory Inspection Department. By the way, when you said her name was Uptown, I'm like, that's fitting, because I'm pretty sure they were in a pretty classy hotel when they banged. <laughs> what, did, what did she say again? Uh, God, I oh, love she, the morning no, after. No, 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 she said, what a lovely morning after. Yeah. <laughs> that's like two lines. In, that is a... That is a euphemism. So, for that sex. is a euphemism and a movie reference. So a Andrew plus. Anyways, uh, Andrew, what? So you could say she uptown funked her up. <laughs> I love you so much. Please marry me. I love I'm you, Roots of Justice. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I've taught you so well how to be awful! Uptown, fuck her up! Uptown, fuck her up! Uptown, okay. fuck her up! Uptown, fuck her up! Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Little Lion Lolly is played by Sarah Wiedenhef, who's played such characters as Monica from Heavy Object, Wada from Terror in Residence, Kiriko Nishizawa from Danganronpa 3 Despair Arc, Aura from Aquarian Logos, and Milu Lun from Selector Spread with Cross. Roots. Okay, I'm okay. I'm back. I'm back. I'm so proud of you. So, should also probably mention that the princess has like an army of like clone maids. So, um. If you were to feel up a clone maid, would that be masturbation or incest? I mean, great work credit to do. She doesn't like molest her own clones, but <laughs> I'm shocked she doesn't. What you don't? In any case, <laughs> are uh... we sure that this country this that this country is in India, not in Alabama? <laughs> I I gotta say the princess was kind. It felt kind of off for some reason. It's something I can't really put to words. It just kind of felt... Maybe it was what they were going for, but it just... I I wasn't exactly sure what they were trying to go for. I don't think the show knew either. Eh, yeah, true. <laughs> Is she supposed to be sympathetic or fucking evil? We don't know. Also, B, the show cheaped out and killing her. She should have been killed. Yeah, but you know, you gotta have the season two hook, which will never come. Okay, straight up. I almost thought that was a fake season two promotional thing. It seemed like... What was that? It, it, I don't get it. Please continue. I, I should probably move on to uh, Iltimish. Toot toot. <laughs> um, Sir Wiedenhef plays like the little girl character really well, and she... She actually does a really good job with the sadistic side of the character. I'm, I'm like, really impressed with Sarah Wiedenhaf. And as, as Megan pointed to in an earlier segment, she gets a really, really good line in one of the early episodes. Like, something about the princess. Yeah, that's worse. It's like, basically, like, I'm going to chase after them for the princess. Or it's like, princess orders you ooh, back. Yeah, you don't want to mess with her. Yeah, yeah, that's worse, Faith. I'm still kind of struggling to find words for for the performance of the princess. It it just it seems, seems off to you, but a, you can't. Uh... It it seems a little too regal, if if that makes sense. 
Really? Like, she... It's a bit too much of an air that she's not like other people. She speaks in sort of... It kind of feels like an accent, but it's not. That seems like it, that's exactly what she was trying to go for, and I think that's what they wanted to go for. Yeah, I think it her, works. Her okay. speech patterns are kind of weird, and it kind of threw me off a bit, so I'll, I'll pass it on to Megan. Well, I think that's also the fault of the show, because the show goes from making her, like, evil and, like, political to, like, fucking predatory lesbian, which, by the way, uh, that's gross show, go fuck yourself. Um, so there's this one part where she takes on Toko, and she's like, if I win, I get your breasts! And then, like, they're literally doing an exposition scene as she's juggling Toko's melons. Um, they're authentic in making, uh, American Indian curry with a Jamaican flavor. Um, so, but I, I think Carly Mosier was fine. I wouldn't call the princess, uh, Princess Vaughn Bad Touch my favorite performance in the show. Uh, she was delightfully hammy, but not as hammy as, like, R.R., or even, like, Anastasia Munoz's character was more hammy than Carly at times. But I think that's because the show has such tonal whiplash on what it was to do with Princess Von Bad Touch that I don't really blame Carly uh, Carly and Chris's direction on it because the show just kind of goes everywhere. Meanwhile, for Hazabenya, the little lion furry, the little lolly lion, like, she straight up turns into a giant lion at points and it was fucking great and, like, that's my aesthetic. But then they also do gross things like putting her in a string bikini. Um, and making her lick boots. Uh, Sarah Wiedenheft did fine. She's another soft-spoken Sarah Wiedenheft character. I do like that this character got to be a little bit snarky and smug at times, which is kind of not something that we always get to hear Sarah Wiedenheft be when she's be doing the little lolly voice. Uh, so good on you, Sarah. I'm gonna pass it on to Jet before Andrew thinks of bad things, like, yo quiero Taco Bell. So I'll talk about Sarah Wiedenheft's performance first. I mean, I, th I thought it was pretty fine performance. Uh, she's proven that she can be pretty good at playing, like, the sort of stoic young character. So, uh, she, uh, so she was clearly very good at that. She got a lot of that attitude across, you know. <clears throat> as, as, uh, you know, a little bit smug and a little bit of, like, the whole broken child underneath that they're apparently trying to go for, but can't really commit to. Uh, uh, like, uh, I mean, the character herself was just kind of there, though. Again, the fan service shots were, like, really, really creepy. <laughs> and then Princess Von Bad Touch. Uh, uh, Carly uh, Mosier was having a lot of fun with that performance. Uh, I mean, it wasn't, like, super heavy, or at least as heavy as some of the other performances of this show, but it, it was it was really a lot of fun for, like, what the character was. Uh, like, it was annoying that they went really back and forth on whether they she was going to be, like, super evil or sympathetic. I wish the show would have, like, stuck to one thing. Uh, but the show clearly doesn't know how to do that whatsoever, so, like, it's kind of whatever. Okay, uh, and as far as, like, uh, the relationship between these two, like, I'd say Princess Von Bad Touch should have gone to prison for, like, begging lonely, but I mean... Okay, but I mean, she's a princess, and she controls all of Parliament, apparently. You can't go <laughs> to prison if you to... run the whole country. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop! That's the sound of the police. Yeah, I mean, they have the whole Parliament under her boots, and they're not going to touch her. Much like, almost like our prince. Oh! <laughs> I'm going to jail! <laughs> do, do. Do, 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 do. I'm going to jail! 
Alright, like, like, I spent that entire segment trying to figure out what I was going to say. Wait, that I'm proud of you, Jet. <laughs> We're all growing up. <laughs> I don't want to grow up. Oh, wait, that's going bankrupt. Aww, but KB is sick. coming back, apparently. KB toys, yeah. not for dildos. Alright, I think I'll take this. Uh, first things first. Sarah Wiedenhef as... I completely forgot what her name was, so toot, I'm toot. actually just going to keep calling her Little Lolly Lion. Little Lolly Lion, uh, I think she does a really good job being this very cutesy, menacing, kind of stoic, badass character. She gets a couple moments to be cute and weird. She also meows at one moment, which is, that was interesting. Um, but she also roars and does some crazy weird stuff. And this character actually is kind of cool sometimes, but boy, all of the, I think every super uncomfortably weird thing in the show is involving these two characters specifically. Anyways, I think Sarah does a really good job with some of the snark. She does a really good job with the bad, like being a stoic badass, but also having a softer side. And can we talk about the fact that she has a copy, a capybara and it's just never brought up. She just has and takes a bath with it at one point and takes a bath with it and just has a capybara and an eye patch kitty like the ipad the, the kitty i get like it's like showing oh this this evil menacing child skirt scorned for evil but no they have a softer side and will take care of something so defenseless and helpless because it's symbolism that makes sense but there's also a capybara for a reason somebody had to write in their script after the creepy, uh, masochistic, uh, man, uh, no, wait, sorry, sadistic. After the creepy, sadistic man almost threatens to sexually assault a kidnapped victim, in walks a capybara with a eye patch kitten riding on top. Anime was a mistake. Anime was very much a mistake. And speaking of mistakes, oh boy. Princess Von Bad Touch. My God. Okay, straight up, before I start, I'll open with a thing. What's really funny to me about this character is she reminds me a lot of the CEO from New Game, because her whole thing is that she like hires a bunch of cute girls because she like likes cute girls and whatnot. That it's like it's sort of some of similar stuff, but it never really goes into full on like uber duper creepy territory. And she mostly is the wacky character that's dealt with by her uh, fed up with her bullshit superior Umiko that drags her along and makes her so she doesn't get her way. This is what happens when that character's taken to 11 and nobody stops them because they are the one in charge. Oh my god, this is... New Game Season 2 was weird. Oh god, at least... At least they're attractive. This show's like, I don't want to touch any of them. Ugh. Except for Cal. I mean, she's got... Okay, fair enough. Uh, anyways, um... Carly, I, I, I disagree with, like, Roots thinking, like, those are cons. I think the fact that she's regal, acting like she's better owning the place, this sort of weird foreignicity to it is exactly what this character needed. And it's a level of eccentricity where it's, you're thinking she went too far. I think she went as far as she could for this character. I think it works for this character. I just 
really don't like this character. It's it, it takes the joke way too far. I genuinely cannot figure out what this character is trying to be. I feel like all of the problems I have with the show's tone derive almost exclusively when it comes to Princess Von Bad Touch. It's like, I, I don't want to compare these two shows in, in terms of quality or uh, tone at all, but I meant I saw this on a, 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 Twitter, a Twitter post. Okay, Ragio Kodayuin, a predatory lesbian. This is a show that makes Ragio's predatory lesbian stuff into the joke. Yeah. Ooh. And that is not cool. It's You're basically, right. It's basically this, like, hey, show, I get, or I don't think this is something that you thought of, too. And I mentioned this to Andrew. I was like, I actually kind of find it funny that this is a show that has a lot of LGBT characters, but it uses them in the most disgusting way possible to make them nothing but fetishistic jokes. You're right. In like, that, we, we mentioned the the character from, uh, that's, uh... Damon's from character. Damon's character, where it's like, the whole thing, like, they make it much more subtle in the dub, by the way. Give them credit to them. Like, they say, like, you're the king's boy, or I don't play for your team. In the sub, it's straight up just, I heard you're the king's lover, and I'm not into dudes. So, yeah, in that like, regards, I appreciate they made it more subtle and tactful, I guess? But... It's still really, It's really... not, it's like, it's not kosher at all. And as somebody who is bisexual, I do think that this is a very disgusting thing to do in the show. There was one thing I was, I mean, I was going to bring it up when we got to uh, Ziggy, but I guess I'll mention it now since it involves these two. Uh, so, uh, so, okay, uh, okay, so there's a bit where, okay, okay, so there's a bit where after Princess Von Bad Touch uh, kisses Ziggy, that's like, that's like, uh, that's like uh, the Lily gets all weird out and kisses Princess Ron Bad Touch. <laughs> okay, and then, and then, like, and then Tiggy's like, oh my god, what are you doing, ew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, and this is, by the way, in Saggy is our hero, guys. Oh, wait, there's something Toko says. There's something Toko says that sums up her whole thing. This seems highly inappropriate for the situation right now. And that's her entire character. <laughs> to... A T I T. That, that spells being tit. said, that spells tit. That being said, I really do think Carly did a great job doing working with this character's crazier moments, making her more like regal, freaky kind of weirdo. And I think she does the part great. And like I did enjoy like the freakouts and the weird moments, and it is almost kind of sexy at some points. It just. Oh, this character makes me so uncomfortable. You're so on the money that this character literally takes that that like that already controversial scene from Kill a Kill and makes it the show's haha. You're supposed to laugh at this. Whereas like Kill a Kill, you could argue whether it was supposed to be creepy or if it was supposed to be sexy. No, it, it, it was supposed to be outright creepy because remember, it's also incestual. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah. like, supposed to be creepy and make you feel things. This show's, like, it's trying to be funny and, like, ooh, ooh, ooh look at them girls. <laughs> it's, it's so... You're right. That's exactly what this is. This is making that segment into the butt of the joke. Speaking Which... of butts, literally the, the dynamic between these two characters starts with, Hey, little girl, you want my sandwich? Lick my boot. And then smacks her, and then sucks face with her, and then starts touching her, and... Okay. Yeah, like, that's why we call her Princess Von Bad Touch. 
Yeah, like our opening day, they literally feel like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I've said all I can on the, these two characters. I, I think, I think Sarah Wiedenhef and I think Carly Mosier do a really good job, actually, like making like the comedic, dramatic, like action stuff work when they can, and they do fit the characters well. I just think these characters are some of the most uncomfortable parts about this show. Like, even for the trash dumpster fire comedy that this show can be, this stuff is actually uncomfortable. Like, we can make yep. jokes, but it's it, It's really very gross. Like, straight up very, very gross. It is. I like, I like Monster Moose, man. I like Seven Mortal Shins. Don't, this, is, this feels... I'm about worse. to blow everybody's fucking mind, y'all. Yeah, the stuff in Monster Musume, well, it annoys me more because Monster Musume is trying to, in my mind, masquerade itself a bit as a good show and at times actually has a lot of effort put into it. This was ten times worse because it was the butt of the joke and it did no qualms about telling you, like, even in Monster Musume, as much as I complain about a lot of things... Especially, like, you know, the whole egg shenanigans in episode six. At least the show painted the principal trying to objectify Pappy as bad. This was probably going to be our biggest segment of the show. Yeah. I think we got all of this out. Jet. It is time. <laughs> I can actually pro- I should- Episode <laughs> no, I wasn't doing the circle of life. I was doing the music for when he proceeds up Pride Rock. That's when Rafiki says it is time. I know the Lion King. I can wa- I can. You could put on the score to the Lion King, and I can tell you what part of the movie you're at. This has been a very interesting discussion, but it's important that we move on to our support, our supporting characters, so to speak. We have Toko Ichinose, uh, Seiki's childhood friend. And Tom Shredfield, the uh, U.S. guy who is a bona fide, indulgent otaku man. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure nothing bad happens to childhood friend. Nothing bad at all. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> I think... Uh, let me just introduce who plays these two characters. Toko Ichinose is played by Jade Saxton. Uh, she's played such characters as Alfred from The Heroic Legend of Arslan... Ruruka Ando from Danganronpa 3 Future and Despair Arc. Uh, she's Constant from Gangsta. Lisa Mishima from Terran Resonance. And Megan, how do you pronounce this character's name? From Carnival. Skumo. Skumo? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Skumo. Anyways, and playing the role of Tom Shredfield is... How do you know this is a Bevan's dub? When he casts himself. Christopher Bevins plays such characters as Nine from Terror in Residence, Yasuhiro Hagakure from the Danganronpa series, Narciss from the Heroic Legend of Arslan, Life Cool from Yurikuma Arashi, and best friend material, Nino from Aka 13 Territory Inspection. Oh, come Department. on, we all know Nino and Gene are banging. There is no lie in that statement. Look, e look, either way, whether he goes for Dino or whether he goes for Ma, he's going to be seeing blue every night. Anyways. Um, First of all, one, Moven and Grossler were the couple in the end of that, by the way. Were they? Yes! Yeah, yeah it was Moven and Grossler. I don't remember that. Yeah, Moven and Grossler got together at the end. 
I didn't remember that. Either. No, they do. Yeah, and um, Gene and Nino, like, if I recall correctly, like, move in together. One day, I think I'm going to bring the box with me to A-Fest only so I can get Andrew and you guys to listen to it because you guys will never, ever get to see this be up on streaming. Y'all need to watch Carnival to hear Chris Bevins do a Southern American accent. Oh, boy. Noted. Anyways, let's start from the top. Roots, what'd you think of these two? Gotta say, hands down, Bevins is another one of my favorite characters of the show. My waifu! Just... (laughs) Just because every other line he utters when he's not, like, out on a mission and, like, getting sliced open. Like, how many times did he get sliced open? Like, at least twice or three times. Yeah. And they make gags out of it every time. Like, he's this big weeaboo dork. As Megan just exclaimed, like, one of my favorite lines is when... Like, they shoot... Somebody shoots through one of his body pillows and he just yells out... My waifu! That was that's one of the funniest things I remember from the show. And knowing that knowing that Christopher Bevins cast himself as Tom to say and exclaim the phrase My Waifu made rewatching this entire show worth it. And then there's also the side of him where he's sort of the older brother figure, and that's really good too. Like, under normal circumstances, I give directors that cast themselves in like leader major roles that that's kind of a negative to me and bevins is really the only exception to that rule like more or less he is the exception that proves the rule he He casts himself as a lot of butt monkeys (laughs) he does a lot of clever casting when he does put himself into a show he doesn't play the same character twice uh, I, I, I mean, I mean, it's funny you bring that up because it does because it does continue the internal cycle of him playing characters with glasses. Well, <laughs> I think that's more coincidence than it's intentional, but that's aside the point. And as for Jade Saxton, she she plays the cute, bubbly childhood friend very, very well until well, she doesn't. she doesn't. <laughs> We're saving that for somebody. Yeah, yeah, Megan. Uh, I'll agree with Jade. She's the cute, bubbly, dumb friend. Uh, she's the typical childhood best friend taken up to 11 trope. Because that is all that character is. Is Literally, she's there to get like her titties grabbed and cry. Uh, she tries to be strong, but she's not really. The show just tries to she be... Gets one mo- she gets one moment where she actually straight up tackles the little lolly and it's kind of cool. The show just yeah, forgets, oh wait, she can do things actually. Yeah, they're like, oh no, it's like, I think they actually conveniently say, like, here, I'm gonna take over your tattoo so that little bitch can't get in there, and then shit happened. Um, but yeah, no, Jade was great, uh, Bevins was hysterical. My waifu, ah, my spleen! Um, he also had the my spleen line, which also got me. Uh, I just like that Chris, I don't really remember Chris Bevins in comedies that much. Like, um, I know he wants to be, this is coming out after that episode, right? The the cer- uh, a cer- uh, episode six 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 Hoshido Girl Drop code name. Oh yes, definitely. Okay, I know he wanted to be in Pop Team Epic, and I kind of wish he was. I also kind of wish he was in. Uh, Roots will understand this. I kind of wish that he would have been the prude in Token Rambu Hanamaru against David Wald Stripper. Uh, yeah. Though though Howard Wang was actually perfect in him too. 
Um, have to just watch Hanamaru just to get. You're watching it anyway. I am, but every time you talk about it, it's like foreign language to me. Please continue. It's a fun show. You would actually genuinely enjoy it. I think you would. Um, but like, yeah, no. Chris Bevins is is basically great in this because the only other really kind of semi comedic character I remember him vividly as is Narciss at times, because Daddy Narciss, uh, Mommy Narciss, and Daddy Daryun is the thing in my head. Shut up. Uh, but I, I liked Bevins a lot. I really can't say more than that. Jet, have your time in the sun, because we've been waiting for this. Yes, okay, okay. So I'll talk about, uh, about Bevins and Tom first. Alright, so I was pretty much just in... So, like you guys were saying, Chris Bevins casts himself into his watch, but he usually knows where to cast himself, so... I mean, so that totally doesn't work out pretty well, and he was a lot of fun here. I spent the entire show just waiting for it to say the one line by waifu, and he delivered that line perfectly, and I was very happy. <laughs> okay, and yeah, that was basically the highlight of his performance to me. Um, okay, and now we get to Toka. Uh, so, yeah, Toka's like the typical childhood friend with big boobs. That's right, uh, she's there, she's very, he's very supportive, very caring, she gets one, she gets one and only one decent moment. And then, decided to rip off that band-aid, it is finally time to talk about episode 8. Womp. <laughs> talk to me, Jet, talk to me about episode 8, buddy. Hazabenya, babakiche, babo. Jade gone, Okay, so episode 8 is like the climax of this big, um, like this big fight scene. It's supposed to be like this. Big gigantic tur- this big gigantic turning point. Uh, so, okay, so, okay, so midway through it, BB is fighting against, uh, what was it, uh, Cat, I think? Yeah, Cal. Man. Yeah, okay, Cal. Uh, so, okay, okay, so BB, okay, so BB's fighting Cal, he ends up using up too much of his power or something like that. So he has to give all of his power to Seiji, and then he dies because, well, he's a mental figure, so of course he has to die. And then, literally three, literally less than three minutes after that, Jad goes running in to save Seiji, and then, <laughs> and then gets her head bitten off by Lion Lowly. No, she uh, gets chopped in half. Dead. Yeah, she gets chopped in half by Lion Lowly, and uh, she be dead. Bitches be dead. <laughs> again, 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 the, Seiji loses... His mentor and his childhood friend were paid literally less than three minutes of each other. I'm not gonna lie, I fucking <laughs> laughed my ass off. Here's why. Here's why. The reason this show is so shitty at a tone is that it fluctuates throughout several different episodes. It does this whole big emotional beat moment, which is the big turning point, which is the foreshadowed death of BB. That was seen. That was foreshadowed. You could tell it was happening, and this was character to push Seiki further to want revenge, to be stronger, and evolve the story. That literally, for overkill, Toko sees him, runs in, literally just randomly, out of fucking nowhere, chopped in half, and dies, and it's like... The tension and the setup was already there. Literally, the way they did it was like two to three minutes after a major death to have another one on top of it is so jarring to the viewer, so strange, that it completely destroys the tone that what should be serious moments going on becomes loud out loud hysterical. 
Okay, okay, okay. And you know what the most? No, there's one more thing I want to say. Like, you know what the most amazing thing about that about that is? That like, like that that happens only about halfway through the episode. There's still like another ten minutes. Oh yeah, there's like another like full on like ten minutes after that where they go talk to Wiseman. Yeah, it's like, what more do you want? You just gave me emotional whiplash. Come. For the insert, no, here's what they needed to do to that. They should have put the uh, insert song from fucking school days when the girl stabs the guy over it. Oh, uh, can, can we talk about music for a second before I yes. go into my segment? There is this one sad piece of dramatic music that sounds like the most discounted persona bullshit that really distracted me a lot. And there are times where that show is being played during literal comedic moments where it's like the song's still playing from a previous scene. It's like, and it's like, hey, hey, Toko, you like Seiki, right? You know how you get his attention? Pin him down with your boobs. Sad piano music still playing while that exchange is going on. It's like, okay. And the thing is, like, the two deaths within three minutes thing. Like, a more competent show could have done that better. Oh, Samurai 7 did that better. Because, mm. I mean, you had... Like, I think it was Kikujo and Sunny Straits' character. I think I, they I, both... I think, I think let's let's keep the spoilers to other sto- I, shows. I, I know, sure. I know. But, you know, they... Those, Just say those Samurai two 7 characters did it better. die like rapid succession, and they actually do a really good job with it. All right, this That's show fair. does not. This, this show, show has like awkward, confident. awkward editing cuts like everywhere. The editing, the aesthetic, the sound design, everything feels off about this show. But that's more for final thoughts. Jade as childhood friend. I actually really like Jade's voice for this character. It's a much more, like, full-on, like, shouty, spastic Jade voice. And I think it actually is really good. And actually is genuinely, like, cute enough that I think it works for what this character is trying to be. Also... You want to talk about tonal whiplash? Let's talk about the after the massacre in episode five, which is the mass the oh, God damn it, I keep where Whipman RR gets shot a bunch of times and kicked in the dick. Uh, Princess shows up and then she starts kissing everybody and then she starts being threatening and evil and then they run into her at the ball and then they play ping pong with her and then she and then Toka loses to ping pong and then liter okay. Then the scene after she loses to Ping Pong, there is a serious, dramatic, like, expositional exchange between our main character and the main villain, and the entire time that discussion is happening, Toko is getting groped the entire time. So all the time, I hear Jade's voice just sounding like it's... It's very awkward making sensual noises where this character straight up sounds like they're on the verge of climaxing in the background while dramatic plot exposition is going on and you hear the childhood friend like she's about to come. Like, what the hell? Not to mention, <laughs> it is, like, not consensual in the slightest. Yeah, no, yeah, like, yeah, you think for somebody who wants to be a hero of justice, he would not, you know, just sit there and watch his son and friend be grown. You uh... think? <laughs> but Seiji sucks. More on that later. Anyways, as for Tom, 
Chris Bevins. Uh, Chris Bevins, like I said, it's very interesting which characters he gets to play in his own show, but I think he did a really good job playing this awkward, dorky otaku man and the reactions and the genuine jealousy of Seiji's bullshit fucking uh, harem otaku bullshit life that he lives like you have a cute childhood friend who makes you dinner and stuff and then you got this cool strength and stuff. Your life is bullshit. You destroyed my fucking figurines, you piece of shit. And it's kind of amazing. And I, he also can be kind of cool. And he's got some fun. He gets, like, exchanges with every kind of character. And I think he's he's very much a character people bounce off of. And I think that works for what Tom is trying to be. And I think Bevan does a really good job playing that character. And like I said, the pinnacle of this dub experience was hearing Christopher Bevan say the line, My waifu. It's just... If that was there, if that line was changed, even partially, I would have been upset, and I probably would have been, like, disappointed. The fact that my, at the very least, any of the changes they didn't make, the fact that my waifu stayed in, <laughs> I can recommend this stuff to people. <laughs> also, good on Tom for surviving. He seemed like this bitch yeah, was gonna surprised. Do- Tom's like Alstofo, no one expected that. And I think we've all said our piece on these two. Let's get on to our final characters for tonight. Our main duo of characters. Uh, our main heroine, Miss... God, both of these names are so fucking... Both of these names are so goddamn stupid. Okay, first off, uh, Segi Akatsuka... Which is weird because I think his name is sometimes also Justice Akatsuka, which I think it's because Seiji means justice. But the show yeah. calls... somewhere somewhere out there, there's an assassination classroom episode on that. But the show calls him Seiji and Justice. Just call him Seiji and be like, your name means justice. Don't also call him Justice. Why? And... No relation. No, I was trying to remember if it was like just the American characters who called that because then that would make more sense to me, but I don't the remember. The foreign character, the foreign characters at least, because I know the princess calls him Justice, I think. And. Uh, uh, okay, then that actually. And. <laughs> okay, the, the, the. Colonel Sanders is still the number one, but this is a close second. Bluesy. Floozy. <laughs> I can feel I can feel your soul draining as you said that name. It's like a Dementor came into Andrew's room and gave him a kiss. We're going to call her her nickname Izzy, and we're Prodigious. going to we're going to call her Izzy, which is what they call her in the show. And we're going to move on and kind of try and suppress the fact that somebody thought the it was a good idea to name your American lead heroine lady Bluesy, Bluesy. By the way, did we mention she's also permanently trapped as a 15-year-old? Oh, yeah. Also, for some reason, her power, her cost of her power, because she went to the Grand Canyon once, and the Grand Canyon exploded and trapped her in the body of a child, like that episode of Bebop. And, um... Please don't remind me. That episode scared the shit out of me. And, and I guess she looks like a child forever, even though she's in her 20s and a consensual adult. Like, she's basically like Baby Doll from uh, Batman the Animated Series, except they also try to put her in a schoolgirl outfit and make her cute and show her curves, and it's wee. Anyways. 
playing these two characters, uh, playing the role of Izzy, is Monica Rial, who you've heard play such characters as Easy from Drifters, Sayaka Maizuno from the Danganronpa, Tama from Selector Infected Weecross. Oh, 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 here's another heavy object name. This character's name is just Oh Ho Ho. Oh Ho Ho. Because she, <laughs> she is she is the Ojo Sama character, and she does the laugh. That's why they call her Oh Ho Ho. She also plays uh, Ginko Yurishiro from Yorikuma Arashi and Mayaya from Princess Jellyfish. And Segi is played by Justin Briner, also our writer for the show, who has been such characters as Ryota Mitarai from Danganronpa 3 Future and Despair arc. How do you say his name? Elam? Elam? Elam. Elam from Heroic Legend of Arslan. He is young Wallace Archangelo from Gangsta. And Baby Wallace. he is Quenther Barbatage from Heavy Object. Roots? Yeah. I'm a little surprised you didn't bring up the uh, best Monica character from a Bevan's Dub. The what? <laughs> I'm a little surprised you didn't bring up the best Monica character from a Bevan's Dub. Uh, Rio from Spiral? No, it's like, no, Michiko no, from Michiko Hata. <gasps> oh, you're right. <laughs> She's been in Also, B, you also forgot that uh, Justin <laughs> Briner was... Um... Get, get... Oh my god, he was, he was in Aka. He's a... There may be another episode where we'll get to a couple of those. Wink, wink. Oh! Anyways. Right. Here we go! <clears throat> Alright, so Michiko is actually a really good segue for what I wanted to say, because, uh... Monica Real gets to say fuck. <laughs> she does. I, a lot of people got to say fuck. <laughs> Greg Ayers got to say fuck. <laughs> fuck. He only got fuck. one, but it was a good fuck. Wang anyway. gave a good fuck. Um, I, I really liked Monica Rial as Izzy. Like, she she gives that youthful energy, but also she's able to sort of bring in the big girl Monica voice, at least a little bit. <clears throat> uh, I mean, character doesn't really have a great arc. Neither does, uh, neither does Segi, really. But um, both her and Justin Briner do a fairly adequate job with the material they're given. Which, by the way, Segi's name is actually Justice. No that's relation. I, that's what I thought. Uh, Am I good? Oh. Wow, I, I really can't remember much, if anything, of Seiki's actual character arc. He has one? Like... That's, that's, okay, like, they spout some stuff about Justice, he loses his mentor and his childhood friend, he gets all emo and stuff, and then he's not being emo, I guess. I mean... He learns that revenge is not the way, Padawan. Except he doesn't really, since he still does the rest of the show trying to get revenge. Okay, here, here's the thing I hate about uh, this. The the villain literally is like, this is a, a revenge story where the main character reaches his lowest point and goes out on a quest for revenge. It's like, what's the point of referencing the goddamn trope if you're just gonna play it straight? Yeah. Uh, I I do kind of like that <laughs> Justin Brenner was able to do the, the sort of 
cheery, upbeat Seigi from the first eight or so episodes, and then sort of the kind of emo <clears throat> Seigi from the last four. He did a fairly adequate job of conveying both of those, so... I, I can't really complain about the performances, because it's really... The, uh, <clears throat> the direction and writing on the series itself, that is the problem. Like, not, not the dub dialogue, but just... The, the show itself. Right. So, Megan, why don't you take it from here? Uh, yeah, I, I have to commend the, the Monica and Justin for able to actually put out half uh that put out decent performances because the show their character arcs were awful. Uh, Bluesy, you don't even know what's going on sometimes. Like suddenly, like her backstory gets revealed, and it's like nothing. Just I don't like how they put the character together in the first place. Like, oh hey, she's an adult, but she's got the body of a fifteen year old. Hinted, wink, wink. Um. And I, I do, I actually kind of, I wish that she kind of would have played it, like, as if she had an older voice, except for when she was around, like, other teenagers. But I feel like they don't really do that that much, and I can't really fault them for it, because I'm pretty sure that's just the direction of how the show went. Yeah. Uh, but Monica was being her Monica best, uh, so I'm not really gonna complain. Monica's a great actress. Uh, Justin Briner was also really great, too. I'm used to Justin Briner making a lot of, like, I will always admit, I love when Justin Briner gets to make dying noises. And there are a couple times where he gets some pretty good dying noises and screams. Um, this is probably by far my least favorite performance of his, though. Uh, not because it's a bad performance, just it's because I don't like the show. Also, be Seiji is fugly. Like, Seiji is ugly as sin, and so is the show. Um, but yeah, no, this is my least favorite Justin Briner performance. Not because the performance is bad, but because the show is bad. Yeah. Otherwise, I- and I- the only one I actually, like- haven't really seen that's a Bevan show is I haven't watched Heavy Object, that's it. But that's because I don't like mecha shows. But I feel like I would enjoy Heavy Object because apparently it's just him and uh Micah being bros. I I'll I'll get yeah. I'll get I'll I'm yeah, gonna, Heavy I'm gonna Object up, isn't really a mecha show. I'm gonna bring show. up Oh cool, then I'll enjoy that. I'm gonna bring up uh thank you for bring up Heavy Object. There, I wanna remember that because that's gonna be something I'm gonna bring up when discussing uh Bevan. Yeah, yeah there's also <laughs> another thing that you have to bring up to end the episode and I put it in the chat. Okay. Sure. All right. Well, Megan, before before moving on, um, heavy object is more giant tanks than giant robots. Neat. I will probably watch it eventually. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, so I guess it's me yep. next. Um. And plus, uh, so, okay. So Monica as Izzy, not Lizzy, Lizzy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Just call her okay, either so Monica, or. It, who cares? Or it's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, so anyway, Monica as Izzy was, like, a pretty typical Monica performance, but again, Monica Rial is, like, a really good actor, so I can't ever complain too much. I mean, I, I mean, I will say that in the beginning, it felt like it took a little while for her to, quote-unquote, get into character. I mean, granted, there wasn't much character in here, but it felt like a little bit of a typical Monica Rial performance until a couple of episodes in where she got more into it. And I mean, but I mean, but after that, it was like perfectly fine. It was, it was enjoyable. She got all the emotional beats, whatever they were, and as well the comedy. And but I mean, the character was just kind of like bleh. I, I mean, I mean, you can do the whole like adult trapped in a child's body thing and make it interesting, but this show had like no desire whatsoever to do that. It just made a bunch of dumb jokes. And then I got. We also literally cliff note her background and. 
Yeah. Literal cliff notes it, of her backstory. Is it, is it, is it, yeah, yeah. And I almost feel like that plot line is literally just there so that... I almost feel like that's just there so she has an excuse to get together with Ziggy because it feels like the show is very clearly leaning towards that even though that's, like, super yeah. gross. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> like, it's... Yeah. It's the same problem with my old boyfriend baby, is inside my new boyfriend. My old boyfriend is inside my new boyfriend. Yeah, because she's like he. They stayed at the beginning of the show. He's like in his last year of middle school. Oh God! Oh, <laughs> oh God! Boy. You thought? And there's only a one year <laughs> time skip. So at the at the most, he is like 15 by the end of the show. There's a lot of problematic shit in this show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, this is what happened. This is what this is what I mean. Like. Yeah, this like, is what happens uh, when writers don't think. Okay, so <laughs> and, uh, being and, an anime yeah. fan is pain. Yes, Je- so Jen, continue. But don't worry uh, if you uh, say if. But don't be too critical because if you if you talk about how a show could be better than what it is, that's just being cheap and lazy. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay. All right. Um. That's uh. I mean, so continuing, there was a lot of material there. I also honestly say I didn't really buy to the whole relationship between her and BB. That just kind of felt like really tacked on. I didn't think it really accomplished what the show wanted it to do. Can I also bring something up really quickly? Is it me or did sure. Seiji kind of look like her dead brother? I think that's exactly what they were trying to imply. Oh great, so let's do creepy insist on top of the age gap. <laughs> let's just yeah. stack this shit on the <laughs> sandwich and see how <laughs> far it goes. Uh, okay, yeah, so you can say I do a lot of talking about BB because there honestly isn't really much to say about Ziggy. He does, like, kind of exist. He's he's a main character. He does main character things. Like, <laughs> like there's literally nothing about him that feels remotely identifiable. His character arc is, like, honestly really boring. Because, I mean, like, I mean, the only thing I can really say about him is that I was honestly kind of annoyed in the beginning. How he, how he was, like, able to be an evil match for Izzy, even though Izzy's supposed to be, like, a freaking military lieutenant. Like, that actively annoyed you go to me. Karate ca- you go to karate <laughs> class once, and you are considered a weapon of mass destruction. Just ask Honey-senpai. Yeah. Uh, I was also, like, kind of annoyed how Izzy was apparently really terrible at stalking him, even though, again, she's supposed to be, like, a military commander. Comedy! Like... <laughs> Like, how are you that bad? How are you that bad at your job? Uh, but, uh, okay, but anyway, like, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, Monica did the best when she was given. Uh, Justin also did the best when he was given. I mean, I can't really follow anything in his performance. Again, he hit all the beats he needed to. He was, he was hyper and upbeat for those first few episodes and then really dour for the last few and, I mean, it was pretty round point, even though I didn't like the character. So, uh, yeah. These two were just kind of a judge from the main. But the performance was good, uh, so there's that. Okay, okay. There's a lot to work off there. I'm actually going to be a little more lenient on Izzy. Izzy. Izzy! I'm going to be a little more lenient on Izzy. Because I actually, like, I think she actually is amusing to me. She's got She's got a bit of snark. And she's also can be a bit of a comedic character when she wants to pounce off of other people. I actually do kind of enjoy her being like the teasing mentor figure that kind of like shits on the guy a lot compared to like being a more straight teacher with BB. I, I think her dynamic is pretty interesting. And cr- I'm not even going to say this is typical Monica since I actually do think they do 
for a lot of it, give Monica like her bigger, older voice for a lot of this. And I think that actually works really well considering this is supposed to be like someone who looks younger, but is like an older adult character. And I thought that was interesting direction to give her a little more of her older tone for a lot of the show. And I think that actually works pretty well for the most part. It does, of course, you can still hear like Monica, like getting squeaky and high pitched, like during the reaction stuff and certain scenes, it's that's just sort of like her tone. But I, I, I think the fact that they gave her the bigger voice actually did help her performance quite a bit. And I think Izzy, while they don't do much with her and throw her to the wayside for Segi, I, I think I did enjoy her fight scenes. She gets a lot of fun dialogue when she's facing off with, like, some of the creepier villains, and she kicks them in the nuts real good, and that was pretty awesome. That's why I like her, since she actually has some snark and will kick the ass of a bunch of people and, like, tell them to suck a dick. And that's a great... Also, she has... Uh, one of my favorite lines is... I need to find this. Ah, final episode. Don't get the wrong idea. I'm here to settle the score. Not like I want you to thank me or anything. Hey, that was pretty good. Tom loves that Sundere nonsense. I love that. I love that stupid, stupid line. It, so yeah, I, I enjoyed Izzy and Monica a lot more than I think maybe you guys did, but... I was more lenient to her for a reason. And that reason is... Segi. Segi... <clears throat> I, I realized in my rewatch, I didn't actually remember a lot of Segi. I knew he was there as the main character, but all the things I remembered were my problems with the show, or how the show handled tone, or how certain characters like Princess Von Bad Touch reacted. I did not remember Segi. I remember why I don't remember Seiki. Because he's so fucking lame. He's not the blandest protagonist I've ever seen. There's a couple of magical light novel protags that haven't beat. I mean, Death March to the Parallel Rhapsody world exists. Of course, of course. But Seiki is so lame. All he wants it's to funny because they're both Justin Briner. <laughs> it's so lame. Everything about him is so lame. He's like, I want to be the hero. I got to do justice. Is this really what justice is? Oh, no. I want to be the hero. Oh, no. You killed my master. I want revenge. He's so lame and whiny and boring. I think that's why I actually wasn't that big a fan of Justin doing this character. And here's why. I know Justin Briner can do spastic, out-there characters. That's exactly the character he plays in Heavy Object. I wanted him to play Segi like he did in Heavy Object. And I got him playing him pretty straight for most of the show, actually. He yells a lot, and he yells really good. And he can kind of be cool, badass action guy in a couple of moments, which is kind of cool, except Segi sucks. I think I wanted this one to be more absurd out there in his delivery, and I think that's why it bummed me out, that he was just kind of a standard tone. Granted, I'm not blaming him for that. That is the direction. And the fact that he wrote the show already more than makes up for that fact, it's just... I don't know. I think my, my my thing is, I think Briner does a good job. I just... Segi sucks. The character just sucks. He sucks. He 
So lame. Ah. And I think that uh, is a good way to go into final thoughts. Roots, take us home. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Actually, you know what? I think I'm going to pass it off to Megan to start off with. Uh, I need no interruptions for uh, my final thoughts. I just want to say it's 26 years and my life is still trying to get up that great big hill of hope uh, for a destination. I realized quickly that uh, when I knew I should, when I knew I should, that that world was made up of all this brotherhood of man, for whatever that means. And so I cry sometimes when I'm lying in bed just to get it all out what's in my head and I, and I am feeling a little peculiar. And so I wake in the morning and I step outside and I take a deep breath and I get real high and I scream from the top of my lungs, what's going on? And I say, hey, yeah, 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 hey, yeah, yeah. I said, hey, what's going on? And I say, hey, Okay, yeah, we're going to cut, yeah, we're gonna cut yeah, the chorus, yeah, yeah. okay? No, I'm fucking not. I said, hey, what's going on? And I try, and she tries. Oh my God, do I try? I try all the time in this institution. And she prays. Oh my god. Oh my god, do I pray? I pray every single day for a revolution. And I said, hey, 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 h
Uh, it's it's fine. Uh, I can't believe that actually worked. <laughs> All right. Thank you both for being in on that joke. Hey, Donata. So this show is bad. This show is very, very bad. In fact, episode 8 may be one of the worst individual episodes of anime I have ever seen in my life. Like, it is... Uh, it, it's up there with episode 1 of The Reflection and all of that. But, um... I... I the dub is actually really good. And it actually made... <clears throat> made this absolute sewage fire of a show an absolute blast to watch. Especially since I got to watch it with <clears throat> the Grimgar crew. We were... We had basically been DMing each other back and forth on Twitter with our experiences with the show. Oh, and it, that it, was... made, it got the cuckles of my heart real good to see uh... your live... Your heart's react. cuckles? You mean the cockles, not your cuckles. Yes. Is your heart being cheated on? <sighs> Roots, please continue. But, um... <laughs> watching the show with a group was a magical experience. It, uh... Direction and writing seemed to understand that the show was bad and the entire purpose of it was just to have fun with Bevins' swan song. He got to bring in people he liked to work with on it. I I can't fault it for that. Because <clears throat> I... I act... Uncomfortable moments aside, I had a really fun time watching the show. So, Jet, what do you think? Okay, um, so like we said way back at the beginning, I had seen this show before, so that I had a pretty good time laughing at it. I mean, so I already knew what I was getting coming in, but uh, yeah, this sub was real fun. I mean, it knew exactly what the show was, and it just ran with it. There were a lot of really fun performances here, the script was pretty good, even if, as, as, I mean, it's, and even if there were a couple of lines I wish were kept in, but that's kind of like whatever. As I am, I mean, it's a little disappointed as was apparently Christopher Bevan's Swan Sock Animation because it would have been nice if he was given a, you know, better show to work on. I mean, but hey, I mean, but hey, if you gotta leave, you might as well leave in style. He definitely left in style. A big, flaming, train wreck style. So, good on ya. This is real fun. Alright. This is one I've been excited to do with Jet for a while as well. I knew I was thinking, oh my god, Funimation picked this show up. I wonder who's going to work on this show. I wonder who's going to be in it. I did not expect to see Christopher Bevan's name attached, even more so to learn this was his swan song. And I could be disappointed. I could be upset. I could be angry. But I'm not. I'm not at all. Why? This is so much fun. Because this must have been a god damn riot to work on to adapt to play this stupid bullshit and have a fucking grand old time with it that must have been so much fun and you know what 
this show is terrible. This show is ugly. It has no idea what tone it. It is genuinely gross and uncomfortable in a lot of places. It's so boring and awkward and also comedic and creepy. It's so many different things. It's a giant hodgepodge edgy mess. But this show, on a second watch, knowing what things are, and knowing that there is an English language now attached to it, I can enjoy the show for what it truly is. A so bad, it's good comedy. And that's how I approached it. That's how many of us approached it. And I found joy and entertainment from it. Especially watching this dub for the very first time hearing some of these characters do these lines these stupid moments and some of the expressions the script and some of these things i was what rico fajardo said we reunited in a room full of sweaty nerds i was gone i was grand I that was went, literally I, the moment i died it was it was it was it was the toilet euphoria moment from Scrubs, where suddenly everything was clear. This is a dumb, fun trash show. So I could be upset. I'm not. Congratulations, Chris Evans. I hope you had fun. That being said, we were pretty negative tonight about this particular show. But if you'd like us to talk about... Um, Something in a more positive light in regards to Bevan's work. Stay tuned later this week. And or you could go back and watch episodes on things such as Heavy Object, uh, Carnival, Gangsta, um, Aka 13. We've covered a lot of Bevan's works. Fuck, we're going to do that next episode, worry. and with that that being said we are done for tonight um so yeah in regards to who we are we are uh the dub talk podcast we cover english dubs and reviews you can find us on youtube at dub talk podcast you can find us on twitter at dub talk podcast we also have a tumblr instagram and twitch channel as well as for myself you can find me over on twitter at mangaman 9000 under the name classy spartan i know it's confusing but whatever that was what my 10 year old self named my account originally Anyways, uh, as for what else I do, I'm a forum moderator for the Funimation forums and the Funimation Discord, as well as I am a co-host over on Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA Anime Podcast. Where can the lovely viewers out there find all of you lovely people? In a dumpster. (laughs) Aside from the dumpster full of hot sword boys. Uh, no, you can follow me on Twitter at Quinera2. Uh, I shitpost cry about sword boys. Uh, you can also hang out with me. I'm also a moderator on the Funimation Discord. Roots? Alright, well, you can find me on the Twitters at Roots of Justice, where I mainly just retweet cute animal pics. Sometimes I talk about movies and anime, and I it's generally a fun time. I'm also... I also have some things in the works, kind of in the early planning stages. Stay tuned. Hopefully, I will finally be making use of my YouTube account. Jet. 
Okay, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at TheVineNega, um, where I will usually be writing about, like, cartoons or anime or Shota Jump or, like, what have you. Uh, you can also occasionally uh, find me on my blog, at a basic Infinity, where I will sometimes write reviews about cartoons. Um, and you can also occasionally read my reviews on the fandom post for next season. I'm reviewing My Hero Academia Season 3, so that should be a good Oh time. god, I'm so yeah. excited! You know what I'm excited for next season? I'm excited Tokyo for Glory. My Heroes. Oh yeah, Tokyo Ghoulry. There's a lot to look forward to in the spring. though. But the- we're all looking forward to the greatest anime of all time, Uma Musume Pretty Derby. Yeah. <laughs> this episode's probably going to come out in the summer anyway, now that I think about it, so this is probably dated. That being said, thank all of you for joining me on this fucking train wreck experience. This was... Watching your reactions for the first time made me feel so very happy that we could do this together. I know I've put you all through a lot of different train wrecks, especially you, Megan, but I'm so glad you were here with me tonight. And I see you putting on a camera. Aww, you're giving me a heart. And with that out of the way, good night, everybody. Otaku on... And have a happy Mellow Melon Day!